Rollins of the night. Jimmy Rollins is going to try for three. Here he comes. In the air, down the right field line. Way back there. On an RBI hit by Mitchie Poole. Here's the throw to the plate. It's in the air. He is. Oh! The 0-2 swing and a miss. Struck him out. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Phillies Nation podcast. I am your host, Ty Daubert. Coming at you in the midst of spring training, just about a week away from opening day, actually watching some spring training Phillies baseball. As we speak, we're going to get into some of the spring training progress right now, do a little buy or sell with what these Phillies players are, are putting up in their spring training performances so far. Before we get into it, got to introduce my co-host, Nathan Ackerman. Nathan, what's going on? Not much. I've got the game on on the side right here, recording this awesome pod. I mean, it's not, not, not much else you can ask for. Can't, can't complain. Yeah, so we just watched Bryce Harper hit a pretty long home run to right field. He's one of a few Phillies that are playing really well in spring training right now. Some players, not so much. We're going to kind of debate which performances we think are real, um, which ones are indicating how they might perform during the regular season and which ones maybe we can ignore a little bit. But before we do that, we wanted to bring on a very special guest. We have Dan Wilson, producer at Sports Radio 94 WIP, former host of the Locked On Phillies podcast. Dan, what's going on? Not much. Happy to be on uh, with you guys, Ty and Nathan. Uh, I feel like it's a long overdue podcast invite, given uh, that I know I at least had you on a couple times, Ty, on the Locked on Phillies podcast. Uh, Nathan, I apologize. You would have been a deserving guest. Nothing personal. Um, but, you know, you guys have been doing this podcast how long? I'll, I'll, you know, better late than never. Yeah, like, like you said, I've, I was on Locked on a couple times. Oh, long, oh. long overdue to have you on, but... We've seen you're no longer the host at Locked On. Recently retired. Um, didn't no announcement though. No announcement that you that you were leaving. Yeah. Well, you know, unlike Coach K, it's not about me. Uh, I didn't need a year long retirement tour. Uh, I just didn't really think it was necessary. I think I went out with grace. Uh, there's now a new host of Locked On Phillies, and yeah, I I just felt like it it wasn't my place to uh, demand all that attention. I got plenty of attention when I took over the podcast. I didn't need all the attention on the way out. Like I had accomplished, uh, you know, like it was about me or I had accomplished something great or anything like that, you know, go out with some grace. And, and I know coach K's coaching the final four this weekend, but you know, Bruce Arians retired without a retirement tour last night. It's just, it, it seems like there is another way. Yeah, you know, never- we were kind of, we were kind of wondering how you would fit the coach K joke in. I, there's, I, I had no doubt in my mind, you'd figure it out. You did it twice. I'm impressed. Yeah. And, and never, never like you to seek any kind of attention. I will say no, that. I'm just, I'm just not about that. You know, <laughs> it's not about me. It's not about, you know, trying to get people upset with me or happy with me or anything like that. I'm, I'm just not, I'm not someone who seeks out attention. It's just not no, really, not really good my style. No, of course not. So he says this, he says this as we see in his room in the background, like a giant cutout of Dan Wilson's own head well, that, uh, okay, on the wall so, back there. So purposely, just, just for right, context, that, that cutout. If you go to any highlight from the 2020 Philly season, that guy was sitting right behind home plate. Like that thing had diamond club seats. All right, that guy does not have diamond club seats this season. It's safe to assume. Is that is that? Uh, he does not have diamond clubs. Definitely not season ticket diamond club seats. Yeah, uh, I have sat in the myself, not the cutout. Uh, have sat in the diamond club. I think twice before, both on the dime of someone else. 
Uh, you gotta, you know, have some have some cash to uh, sit up there. It's a fun experience nonetheless. But season tickets down there, uh, TV seats where that guy used to sit, pretty unique experience. But don't think it's gonna happen after 2020. All right, you're talking about season tickets. Why don't we get into this season ahead a little bit, Nathan? Do you want to talk about some players that we want to dissect a little bit, their performances so far in spring training? Do a little buy or sell, like I mentioned. Why don't we get into some of the players that have performed well so far and see what we think of, of their performances? You want to want to lead the way here? Sure, yeah. Why don't we start with, you know, we said that we're, we've are we got the game on the side right now. Why don't we start with a guy who's got a nice little RBI double in this game that's mickey moniak he is on fire he's been on fire this whole spring hitting 318 with a 1.182 ops obviously the context of the adam adam hazley trade that happened tuesday now at that point tuesday question mark yeah tuesday um makes his opening day status a whole lot more interesting as far as whether he's going to make the roster or not i think it probably seems pretty likely at this point but He's been hitting the ball super well. Um, this is a thing that tends to happen in spring, so I don't know how much stock you're going to put into that, um, but he does look like he's you know, certainly clicking at the plate in every aspect right now. So I guess I'll toss it to you guys. How much do you buy spring training, Mickey Moniak, so far? Um, I mean, look, I, he's obviously made some adjustments. I was watching a story on phillies.com yesterday about how much he enjoys working with Kevin Long, the new hitting coach. And I think anytime you get a new hitting coach, and certainly someone who's like respected in the game and like the way uh, K Long is, as he calls him, um, that there's going to be an impact there. And they clearly enjoyed working together. And Kevin Long made it sound so simple. He's like, yeah, all he had to do was like move a little bit closer to the plate. And I think it's making uh, this difference. We've seen guys go off like this in the spring before. It's probably enough for him to get on that opening day roster, which is, you know, ridiculous in and of itself that, we're having debates over an opening day roster spot uh, for a guy who was the number one overall pick six years ago. But, I, you know, he probably gets on in terms of like, do I buy that he's going to be a consistent everyday major league player? No, not yet. I mean, we've seen guys go off in the spring. Maybe I'm being too pessimistic, but I'm not going to see the, you know, the March 2022 of Mickey Moniak uh, down in the Grapefruit League and be like, all right, this guy is totally ready to play. It's enough for him to get on the team, but until he starts doing this at a way more consistent level, actually in major league games, just because the sample size we have is of this past couple of seasons, a, his inability to get to the majors that fast. And once he got into the majors, uh, just being uh, just a pretty bad player in general, um, you know, you hope that this Kevin long adjustment, whatever it is can, you know, help propel his career, obviously wish him the best as a person and the Phillies could really use the help, especially in center field. Uh, but I am not buying it. Yeah. So like, like you mentioned a little bit, Nathan, we we've seen this from him before last year, he was really going off in spring training and then he was never really given a shot in center field. Even when the Phillies had center field problems, they ultimately opted to bring Odubel Herrera back up um, after he wasn't on the roster the previous season after his arrest in 2019 and Herrera was basically the starter for the rest of last year. He'll probably be the starter again this year, but he's currently not healthy dealing with an oblique injury. So it looks like along with Matt Veerling, Moniak will be the other center fielder. He probably takes a little bit of a step back to Veerling. But last year, he was really doing well at the plate in spring training. But then in his few appearances in the major leagues where he, he had 
some opportunities to contribute. He really did look overmatched in the majors for the most part. It, it, bad start at the beginning of the year in the minors last year, picked it up. But it's kind of been the same story for a few years now. When he's hitting the ball, he's able to find gaps. He has good speed, can turn things into doubles and a few triples. Um, but the issue is getting on base consistently and, and the plate discipline is not really there. He has to be more selective. And until he proves it at the upper levels, like Dan said, I don't, I don't know why you should believe that he's a different player than he's shown to be. But what he is right now is someone who can play center field at a pretty, pretty solid level. He can run the bases and, you know, you hope he can give you a little bit more at the plate, more, more to the kind of production he's shown in triple a so far and, and in double a over the past couple of minor league seasons, you hope he can get something closer to that in the majors rather than just like all the strikeouts that he's kind of had so far in his major league opportunities. So with the injuries that they, that they have right now, I think he's probably the best option and a virtual lock to make the team. Um, I understand why they dealt Hazley has not shown much upside at all. And then even the floor that people thought he might have has been uh, lower than maybe what was originally thought. So I understand it. I, I don't think it's like a lock that Moniak is some major league regular at this point, but I get why he's the guy so far. And Hey, like it's not a bad thing that he's producing in, in spring training. Yeah. And I think one of the things that you kind of talked about there was <clears throat> the fact that he's done this every single spring, this spring, he has a one point, what I say, 1.182 uh, OPS right now, last year, it was 1.112 the year prior to that, it was 1.088. So it's pretty much an every year kind of thing. But the one thing, despite those high um, OPS marks is that he hasn't really walked a whole lot in spring. And like, you know, you don't want to make too big of a thing out of that, but he walked twice in 18 games last year. He has no walks and he's playing his 11th game right now. So he's not really like working counts, as you kind of said there. He's not, you know, getting deep into counts. It's sort of like, is this actually real or is he just beating up on bad competition? Because it's not like he's, you know, going up against the team's ace every single day, like, you know, would happen more often in the regular season. So, you know, he's he's matching up against a lot of, probably more minor league competition. And it's just kind of one of those things where because you've seen this in the past and then you've seen how how tough it was for him with the big league club, it's like, has something finally changed now? Or, you know, is it just kind of going to be more of the same? And I think, um, you know, I, I don't really fault people who kind of see this as just more of the same. I mean, certainly he probably looks better now even than he did in the previous few springs just because seems like he's using the whole field more, all those, all those kinds of things, but the, it still, it still comes back to me for that thing that, you know, you would, you would like to see him work more counts, have more of a, you know, refined approach up there. And that's the kind of thing that would translate um, if you were to have a big role with the major. League yeah. And, and like I, I alluded to before those walk issues, those on base issues are not exclusive to spring training. Those are issues that have plagued him throughout his whole pro career. And, really like kind of the main cap on his on his game right now that's prevented him from kind of putting himself ahead of of some of the other competition in the organization yeah and the other thing about veerling was last year against right-handed pitching he hit 300 with a 920 uh 
OPS against left-handers, it was 342 with a 787 mark. So the average is down, but the OPS is high. The slugging percentage is, is you know, uh, way up there for for him. So it's it, like it isn't like he can't hit right-handed pitching, and that would be the role that um, Moniak would figure to play if they were to do like a sort of, you know, kind of platoon thing where maybe it's not a full platoon, but like Moniak plays, I don't know, once every three or four days, something like that. So, you know, the need, like, it isn't like they don't have somebody who can hit right-handed pitching. So I like, I, I think he'll play some role with the big league club. Um, as like, especially if he keeps on hitting the way that he is now in spring, but to throw him into even a platoon, much less like an everyday role, I, I don't see it happening right now. And like, once again, the, uh, the opportunity is there, like, you know, no one's taking the center field spot and running with it, especially for opening day with Google being hurt. It's probably like dearly. It's like, all right, so why wouldn't you put Moniak on the opening day roster? So if he's even like serviceable, the guy's going to get playing time. It's, yeah. You obviously wish he could do a lot better than that. He's shown flashes, uh, Mr. Clearwater, uh, as I like to call him based upon those numbers you just gave. Um, but, you know, let, let's see, let's see the bat come North for a month and actually like, hidden in a you know a major league role and like somewhat of a consistent basis and then it's like all right cool like we can all get behind mickey moniac but so far just zero reason to believe that this isn't just a trend repeating itself yeah definitely i don't think we have much else to add on on him why don't we nathan go to the next next phillies guy who has shown a little bit this spring training Cool. Well, we'll go to somebody else who also doubled in this ball game we're watching right now. Two hits on the day, actually. He's hitting 550. 550 is batting average this spring with a 1.440 OPS. He looks awesome. Looks like he's hitting everything off. He's hitting the, you know, he's he's hitting everything right now. That's Bryson Stott. Um, somebody who has become more and more a conversation for the starting third base job on opening day, especially given what's happening with Alec Boehm right now. Um, how much do you buy Stott? Obviously, this is not a case of a guy we've seen do this every single spring because um, he's only been up there for so long. Um, how much do you buy what's been like in hands down a absolute success uh, in spring training for Bryson Stott so far? So do I think Bryson Stott is going to be a 1400 OPS guy in the major leagues playing every day? Probably not. But I am I am buying him as a major league regular at this point and probably the best option they have to take that last infield spot, whether it actually is playing third or short, depending how they align things. He last season in the minor leagues, like he he really turned things on um, walking so much, being able to hit the ball, drive the ball to all fields in a way that. I didn't really expect him to do. I always figured he would be a pretty solid player once he, once he developed, but the way he's been, been hitting the ball and the kind of advanced approach that he's been able to put together has been really impressive. He continued it pretty much all throughout the minor league season last year, as he rose from single a all the way up to triple a by the end of the year. And then he continued to just do nothing but get on base in the Arizona Fall League when he played there. And in spring training, it's been the same story. I, I'm buying Bryson Stott right now. And if it were up to me, he's, you know, he's on that opening day infield and he's starting on opening day. The only reason he shouldn't be on opening day is if like they want to, you know, use the service time a little bit here and 
him down for a few weeks. If well, the, la- the last time they, they did that was with Alec Bohm in 2020. And you think back, they when Bohm was really good that season, they probably make the playoffs if they have Alec Bohm on, on opening day. Like, they got to throw that out the window. It's one extra year down the line. If you want to keep them, like, just extend them. Like, they can't no, no, no I, I, I agree. It's, it's more so, well, I guess two things from their perspective that would give them – so I would like to see them – uh, on the roster uh, as well. It's more so, are you looking at a longer season, longer sample size? I mean, what's the alternative? Like, you know, playing Camargo for a month or, you know, what, whatever the scenario might be. I, look, I would love to, nothing in terms of his playing time or like in terms of his playing ability, in terms of how he pans out, like how he's projected to pan out as a prospect and how he's played this year in spring should keep him off the opening day roster. If he's not on the opening day roster, then there's absolutely no reason to see him up here for the first couple of weeks. So that's what I'm imagining uh, will be done here. At this point, it seems like a guy who will be on the opening day roster, like you said, especially because of Bo. I don't want D.D. Roy's playing, you know, behind the shortstop. That's just me. You know, get whether it is a combination of, you know, putting Camargo and Stott on your left side of the infield, you're obviously going to work in, I mean, if Bohm's on the major league team, he'll be worked in. You have an extra DH spot. But if Bohm's not on the roster, then it feels like Stott absolutely has to be on the roster because who else are you going to get the puck with? Yeah, and I mean, the other thing about, about spring training stats as far as how much to buy into it and how much to not, it's like you you only really want to rely on it for guys that like you don't have much otherwise experience to analyze like you know if he'd been playing for seven years in the big leagues then you obviously want to look more into that but I mean for a guy like Stott and a guy like Bohm who I'll give him some 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 credit right now he just hit a little opposite field single um got that batting average up to big batting average guy I am up to well I can't find it right now but anyway it was at 0.095 before that hit so you know you can do math trying to break a couple digits here yeah exactly trying to break like half the Mendoza um but it's like at some point you just got to ride the hot hand, right? Like whether you think Bohm's offensive ceiling is higher, which like, I don't even know if that's a given at this point, right? Right now. I mean, I think going into last year, you probably thought that that was the case, but I, I mean, the way that Bryson Stott's playing right now and the way that Bohm's been playing right, right now, it's like, it, like at some point you, you, you've got to go with, you know, who's on fire right now and who's not. And I think it'd be not the end of the world for Bohm. Well, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's certainly not ideal what's happened to him the last couple weeks in the last year or so and having him in like triple a to start the season and you know getting regular at-bats there is like not what you envisioned exactly sure. but I mean at, at some point it's just what you got to do and the way yeah. Bryson Stott's playing right now and what you can add with the with the glove too I think that's a huge thing also especially for a team as defensively challenged it's like what are you getting with Alec Bohm as your opening day third baseman right now? You're getting somebody who you're just like counting on to suddenly click when you don't have much track record to assume that that's going to happen. And then you have a guy like Stott. And another thing about Stott's sp- uh, spring spring training that I want to point to is he has like one home run at this point. So it isn't like all of his uh, you know offensive output is coming from the power, but power is not something that he has to do with this lineup where you have guys who – four different guys who could hit 40 plus home runs. So yeah, yeah. Like obviously he's not going to hit 550, but if he hits 300 or like 290, 280 out of like the seven spot in the lineup, seven, eight, nine, wherever that might be, like that's exactly the kind of hitter you want up there. And that's like, 
I mean, again, as I said, he's not going to hit 550, but if, if, if regular season Bryson Stott looks anything like spring training Bryson Stott looks right now, it's like, there's, there's really no question he, in my mind. Playing every day. Yeah, exactly. Right. And yeah. like you said, playing Bohm, playing Alec Bohm at AAA, like maybe that's not ideal. What's also not ideal is your regular major league third baseman putting up a 640 OPS again with yeah. probably the worst defense in the league. Yeah. Like at this point, at this point, if he's not going to, to hit like he did in 2020, he's probably, he's probably a net negative in the major leagues. If he's, if he's going to hit like he did last season, like that's just the reality. Unless unless a team made him like their everyday DH and he definitely doesn't hit for a pop, like the power you'd want from a DH spot. And on this team, they got like five DHs. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And I mean, they, they did the thing last year where they were like, we're going to let him struggle and let him work through this kind of a, you know, we'll just test him. And he didn't figure it out, but also they didn't really have an alternative there. Like what, who else were you going to plug in at third? Like Luke Williams, who's now a San Francisco giant. So like, but Ronald now, Torres, you know, over. yeah, Ron Torres, who, you know, <laughs> Like you, you're going to not, you're not really getting anything with the bat there. So, um, but now you have a guy like Bryson Stott, who's a pretty viable alternative, if you ask me. And, you know, they're, they're not really in a position right now where they can afford to, or need to say, we're just going to, you know, ride with Alec Bohm right now and let him struggle. Cause you know, they have somebody who seemingly could um, really provide something on both sides of the ball there. Before, before we completely dive into some of the spring training dis- disappointers, I guess. Let's go to uh, the last the last guy who's been impressive this spring that we wanted to wanted to talk about, Nathan. All right, we're going to take it now to the bullpen where Sir Anthony Dominguez is having himself a spring. He looks absolutely disgusting. He looks like dare I say twenty eighteen Sir Anthony Dominguez? Question uh, mark. His stuff looks it, look. He is not throwing you know ninety eight, ninety nine, one hundred miles per hour like he was. Uh, prior to the injury, but he's throwing 95, 96, 97 uh, around that. The slider looks wipe out. He's missing bats. He looks like the kind of guy that could go a long way for this bullpen who, you know, a group that obviously needs a lot of things to go right. Um, you know, a lot of big question marks right there. If they were to get him back, if they were to get any version, anything close to the version of him that we've seen in spring, uh, up to up to this point, it would be absolutely monumental for this team. So how much do you guys buy what uh, Dominguez is doing in spring training so far? If there's one guy this spring, I'm going to be a sucker for buying into who I know is going to disappoint who not I know is going to disappoint me, but like in the back of my head, I'm like, all right, I'm probably setting my expectations too high. It's probably Sir Anthony Dominguez. It's hard to, you know, watch him on the mound in Clearwater this spring and not be like, holy hell, like, He's still, like you said, maybe the velocity's down a tick, but like still pretty good for a guy who has gone through a you know very weird path to reach this point of like you're gonna go back to 2018 when he was serving as the closer and then you know surgery getting delayed. Now it's like now he's finally back with the major league team. He's finally back. We don't have to wonder like are we gonna get him back late in the season? But he's having a full year, like normal year to prepare, and he's looking good in spring training, almost like he hasn't really missed a beat in this entire time. Like it's not, it's kind of unexpected. It's already eclipsed my expectations, so to speak. Uh, and so much so, just like they just need him to be good so bad. But we know how bad the bullpen is, like year after year after year. And if Sir Anthony 
is an effective reliever for Girardi coming out of the bullpen. Like it is going to do wonders for this team. And, and so that's the, I, I think everyone, I, I think it's a healthy exercise to try and every year coming out of spring training, just go all in on one guy. If you get disappointed, you get disappointed, but just like ride or die with him. I think Sir Anthony is that guy for me this year. Yeah, like, like you said, they could really use him being good again, like really use him. They didn't go out on some slam dunk reliever. They got Corey Kniebel, and he'll probably be the closer. But he's had problems with injury. It's not like he's a lock to be like this absolute shutdown back end of the bullpen guy. And they kind of they kind of put together their offseason with the idea that Sir Anthony Dominguez could be at his peak form. And from a human standpoint, that would be really cool to see. Um, and from a baseball standpoint, like if it doesn't work out, it could kind of backfire on the Phillies if, if he's not. And he's looked, he's looked close to that. Like you guys mentioned, uh, who knows exactly what'll happen, but I, I think I'm, I think I'm buying it for the most part. I was just say like, hopefully, you know, at, at first I got that same sense too, that they were putting, a lot of stock in Sir Anthony bouncing back, which was not something I was necessarily a huge fan of to start. Like it seemed like you were kind of having faith in something that probably no one outside the organization had a ton of faith in, but he has really impressed me this spring. And I just really hope that, uh, you know, this is a scenario where he, he just looks, I know guys are going to look good in spring training guys will make adjustments. Major league hitters are going to start getting more looks at him uh, and stuff like that. But, if he can keep that velocity up and he doesn't, you know, as we get to the dog days of the season, his arm doesn't start to wear out or his command starts to wear out or something like that. It, we've now seen that the potential is still there, which for a guy who really has not pitched a full workload in like three years or whatever it was that you said, that's probably like the biggest hump in my mind he needed to get over. And the fact that he can get over that and probably mentally get over that, and just so much comes from it. So, Look, I've been really excited about Sir Anthony this season. It's not a name that I would guess a lot of Phillies fans thought we would be talking about in this regard in the year 2022. But here we are. It's March 31st. The season gets underway in a week. And, you know, I'm going to be surprised if Sir Anthony Dominguez is not pitching, like, high leverage outs with leads, like, very soon in the season. Yeah, and I think you kind of hit it on the on the nose there. Whenever you're talking about a guy who missed – basically two years. I know he threw at the end of the season last year, like one or two games, but um, basically two, two years. Um, it's, it's great that he looks like this in March. How does he look in July and is he still healthy? And if so, is he still producing the way that it seems like he is right now or the way that he is right now? Um, I, I will say the one promising thing for me is that he's not relying on you know, throwing 99, hundred to get outs right now, because that's something that you could definitely see falling off as the course of this, as, as you know, the year you know. velocity. Yeah. That, yeah. That, you know. Yeah. So if, if he's, you know, able to get outs the way he is right now, throwing 95, 96, but complementing it with the, you know, wipeout off speed that he's been um, throwing so far, it's, it's certainly promising there, but you just want to see how it, how it holds up. I'm not saying it won't, I'm not saying that it will. Um, it's just something that, you know, maybe the adrenaline's helping him right now. I don't know how much stock you put into that kind of thing, but he's been back. He's been gone for two years and now he's kind of like, he's, he's now he's, you know, kind of having the chance to um, pitch himself into a role that as, as you said, we didn't really see us talking about it at this point. So 
it's only really good things in March right now. Uh, he's throwing the ball well. He's hitting spots. His stuff looks nasty. Um, check back in July, and that's when I would like fully buy in um, on on him. But that isn't to say I'm out right now because he looks so good. Why don't we Why don't we stay on the bullpen, but transition into some of the not so good performances this spring? We talked about Bohm earlier, so let's stay in the bullpen. Talk about Connor Brogdon, who has not had the ideal spring. Nathan, you want to go? Yes, yeah, so he's just looked way behind right now. He's had a few appearances now. He's, you know, throwing 93, 94 with his fastball. He says he's completely healthy, says it's just a spring, a spring training thing. Um, but, you know, obviously that's cause for concern when somebody who was last year throwing 97, 98, topping out at probably 99, uh, is throwing five, six miles, miles an hour, less than that. And not, not that you want to, you want someone to be injured, but when they're like throwing when fully healthy, like, all right, what's the deal? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, what is, what is the problem? Is it some mechanical flaw that it needs, he needs to work through? Is his arm just, I, I don't know. I, it sounds like they don't know either, but this is, as, as we talked about earlier, this is a bullpen that needs a lot of things to go right. And I think over the course of the offseason, as they were constructing the pen, it was kind of like, we have a few sure things. And, well, maybe not even a few, maybe like one or two. And Connor Brogdon was supposed to be one of those guys. Now there's been questions being tossed around about whether he'll make the opening day roster, whether he needs more time to build back up. And it would be something that you say, okay, Maybe it's not a huge concern because he's just behind schedule. He's just slow getting the velo up, all that kind of stuff. But April's going to be tough for this team. They're missing so much on the pitching side of things that they would really, you know, they could they could they could really use a a, a guy like that and a guy who, you know, in theory could be as productive as he was last year. I don't know if he's going to be able to do that throwing 93. So for that reason, um, and the reason that they, it seems like they can't really diagnose what the problem is. Obviously you're, you're, you're glad he's not hurt. Um, but it, it leaves you searching for what the actual cause is. And sometimes the, the mysterious things are the ones that you can't fix all that fast. So yeah, I, I'm, I think as far as the panic meter goes, I think this one is very, very high. Yeah, I'm with you, Ty. I think you'd rather hear, oh, he's got some injury. Like, even just, just lie to us just to make us feel better. Like, saying that everything's fine and he's topping out at 93 and he's, you know, not looking great. It's like, like and what is it? Like, how are we as observers supposed to, like, acknowledge it's anything other than just a wild regression from what we expected him to be? And to, you know, your point, Nathan, of like, well, there weren't many sure things in the bullpen, but Connor Brogdon was like one that they were kind of counting on like this in a sense kind of offsets the Sir Anthony thing of like Sir Anthony is someone you had maybe should have had lower expectations for. And as of right now, his stock is up, but if Brogdon someone you had expectations for and his stock is down, like the net is okay. Still you, you have the same amount of relievers you actually feel comfortable with. So yeah, it's hard to say what's actually up with him. I could see him going down to the minors, like trying to figure it out. Uh, the guys obviously had, you know, an interesting career up to this point. I always, you know, <laughs> I always remember watching his first uh, appearance in the big league. He had a lot of home run on his first major league pitch, I believe it was. Uh, and then, of course, he had the game last year, which I thought was more on uh, more on Girardi for allowing him to stay in to allow two, three run home runs to the Giants. But like he would go through stretches where it looks really, really good. And then he just go through like the absolute lowest of lows. So 
hopefully this is just the lowest of lows and the highest of highs come back for him. But whether we'll actually get that, like, you know, plateau of consistency with Connor Brogdon, I don't know. I, I just, I, I don't really have a ton of faith that that's like a thing we'll see. All right. We touched on Bone before as somebody who's been disappointing. Do we have anything else we kind of want to add on, on him at all? Anybody? On, uh, just, I really liked him after 2020. I know we all did. You know, the guy was, you know, in the rookie of the year conversation. But, like, he just has such a – like, I just want – as a, a baseball purist of sorts, like, just, like, fundamental stuff like that. Like, his swing – looks so textbook and like i just want that guy to be good like really really bad and the guy can't elevate the ball at all even for like what like he just hits the ball on the ground like just get me a, just become a gap to gap hitter and like if he could do that the defense okay you, you figure out maybe you can excuse it you get him some dh days but if the guy can hit he'll probably find his way in the lineup especially on this team when they're going all in on offense and the defense stinks anyway so but the guy can't hit like he could last year. And obviously it's really concerning. It looks like he might not even be on the opening day roster. Just as like, I feel, I feel duped in a way. Cause like, that was not just my guy, but like, I felt like in a, a special attachment to him a year ago, just not because like just the way he swung and the way he approached at bats and things like that. And we just saw a total, the total other side and the total downside of what, a player look like that looks like over the course of a full season in 21. It's not for lack of opportunity, as Nathan alluded to. They tried to let him work through it. It's just a real bummer. I'm really pulling for that guy even more so than, like, ordinarily. I just want any Phillies player to get out of it. Hard to have faith at the moment. Yeah, I like to – he's kind of like a strange hitter. Like you said, He's doesn't lift the ball really. He can hit the ball hard, but a lot of times it looks like he's trying to – like just make contact or hit singles. I've made jokes kind of like he's like he's Chris Bryant's body, but Ronald Torres's approach at the plate, like dumb jokes like that. But it's kind of true. It's like he's very weird in the sense like you're, that you remember physical. Yeah, but 2020. 20, he's he had, very, he's, no, I know he was very, very good. But I mean, even just like approach wise. Like yeah, you can see ball, it. The balls like. If you were like a little league coach and you were teaching like your kid how to hit, you'd be like, all right, go watch Alec Bohm swing. Like he takes balls the other way, he rips it to right center. Like balls on the inside, it gets the bat head out, bat, yeah. bat head out in front. He's a nice like line drive stroke. Like I know a lot of people. But at, but at the same time, he played. Angle, but like, at, and it just didn't work. It, at, in, at the same time, in hindsight, he played 40 games and his batting average on balls and play was ridiculous. Maybe we should have been a little smarter about saying like, ah, maybe just like. Racking it, up only singles, but it, like it might regress it was, a little it was, bit. It was more than that too. Like he started becoming definitely fastballs. Yeah, he started, he started hitting balls on the ground that were just not like the. I get it. Some of those balls on the ground were hits, but I don't think that was it. Like it, he wasn't only getting balls that found gaps uh, in the infield in 2020. Like there yep. was, yep, there right. was something more there, and I, I. So I just, yeah, it's part of it. I just don't think it's the whole equation. Yeah, I don't know what the right answer is there because, like, like you said, at the end of the 2019 minor league season and then after the shortened 2020 major league season, it did feel like this guy is at least a lock to be a major league starting caliber hitter at the very least. And that is pretty much gone, I would say. You don't, I don't think you can count on him basically for anything at this point. 
Yeah, and I think when you when you think about all the trade buzz that's happening around him, um, obviously we have to see whether that happens, but people are talking about it. It's like, I don't think that a trade of Alec Bohm means that you're necessarily giving up on him and think that he can't be a productive, you know, big league hitter, I, I specify on the offensive side someday. Because, I, I mean, I, I think that the team still thinks that he can be good. And I think that most fans and like people who cover like I think everybody thinks that he he still has this in him because it yeah it was a very ugly last year it was a very ugly spring right now but it was one year and you saw what he could have been in the shortened season so but but the the reason why trading him might make sense is that again you have a viable alternative there in in Stott at at uh, third base and it's like you kind of want the sure thing especially when the pitching looks the way that it does right now for the first couple months of the season but even when everybody's healthy like it's not you know otherworldly I, I would say so like the reason why he has trade value right now is that he could still maybe tap into that the the, the question is is it a risk that the Phillies need to be taking considering what they have there um considering what they don't have on the pitching side it's it's like maybe what you're saying is somebody can figure him out it, like maybe what you're saying is even the Phillies could fix him somehow but um it wouldn't no, happen fast gonna enough we're gonna fix anyone but yeah it, but like it wouldn't happen it it, it it wouldn't happen quickly um you know and they just don't have time to wait right now and i think that's perfectly reasonable why don't we why don't we move on to probably the last guy we wanted to touch on specifically aaron nola another rough spring kind of the same issues have been Haunting him, the home run ball, giving up runs with two outs and two strikes, just like he did last year. Historically, he's been a not great spring training pitcher. Um, and throughout his career, he's been able to mostly bounce back from that. But still, if, if for the people who were hoping things would be different this year than last year for Aaron Nola, I'm sure seeing the same like inconsistencies in spring training isn't too encouraging. So, yeah, why don't we get into Aaron Nola if this spring means anything for him? Yeah, and I think you you kind of talked about a, a lot of the concern there is that it looks so much like it did last year. The home runs, the poor two-strike execution. Uh, it's I, – I, I wonder how much of it is – like a spring training experimentation kind of thing. Cause there, there has been a lot of like, you know, two strike, two seamers that sort of float back over the middle of the plate. Maybe he's working on something with that pitch and you probably see less of that in the regular season. Cause it's like, I don't know, hasn't been his best offering in that count. And he has other stuff that he can go to there, but like, it, it just has been a lot of the same stuff. Like it's, you know, he, he, he gets guys into counts and he gets them into favorable favorable positions for him and then it's just something happens with two strikes I, I i don't he's allowed five homers in nine uh innings so far to this point i remember checking when it was four homers three of them had come with two strikes i don't remember what happened with the fifth but whether it was with two strikes or not it's like something that you know you, you're just gonna have to figure out because you can't like even if you're not giving up a bunch of hard contact outside of the homers which is not necessarily the case right now if you give up that many homers and you can't execute with two strikes like there's not much that you can really do so i i wonder how much when the season starts the approach really changes um you know the sort of things that he goes to in those oh two one two 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 counts but right now it's like it's it's kind of it's kind of 
perplexing because you didn't really want to put all that much stock into last year because uh, the FIP was lower the, and a lot of the problems came with two strikes, which is something that you think is just kind of random. Um, but given that it's happening again right now, there has to be at least a little cause for concern, especially again, when you look at how the team's pitching is going to line up over the first month and it's not super pretty. You're going to want guys who can go deep into games and, you know, you're going to need more than what you've been seeing so far from him. And so the other day, uh, friend of the podcast and your, you know, your guy's colleague over there, Philly Nation, Johnny Heller tweeted, if you could get a career best year for any one of the Phillies in the year 2022, who would it be? And there were a few answers that got thrown around. You know, Bryce is like an obviously like top of mind one. But for me, and tell me if you guys think this is like wrong. I think it's Nola. Like if you could get a career best year out of Aaron Nola, like that means he's back to being like one of like the aces on your team, first of all. It would be a huge stride mentally for him. I, I don't think we're necessarily, I don't think the fan base or like, you know, media or the discussion around this team in general has necessarily addressed kind of just my overall my personal overall concern with this rotation heading into the season enough, like Zach Wheeler having injury problems. Nola's going to be the opening day starter. Uh, you obviously have Ranger Suarez who was like unbelievable last season, but you figured he's going to, you know, kind of regress back to the mean here. And then Kyle Gibson, who's like fine. You hope can be like serviceable for you, but in general, like this rotation is like, I feel like there are a decent amount of question marks on it. Like you figure Wheeler also is not going to be, as good as he was last year because the guy was a freaking Cy Young candidate. So in general, like if Aaron Nola could give you a career best season, like that means a lot of the question marks that are kind of flying under the radar because the defense is like obviously the biggest concern with this team. But it's an especially big concern when you consider that there's a lot of guys in this rotation, obviously the bullpen too, but there's got guys in this rotation, especially that I have a lot of question marks about. And if Aaron Ola could just guarantee us, let alone a, a solid year, let alone a career year. I mean, this team is probably looking at being a playoff roster. Yeah. I think last year, if Aaron Nola is as good as 2018, instead of having the ERA in the mid fours, like they're, they're a playoff team, I think almost without a doubt. Um, the thing since that 2018 season where Aaron Nola, like you think back, it, it's almost, it almost feels like a, a completely different pitcher where, yeah, he fell apart down the stretch a little bit in September, but even in the late August, he's going toe to toe with Max Scherzer with like Cy Young implications uh, in these starts down the stretch in big division games. And he's out pitching Max Scherzer in a couple of these cases. And ever since then, it maybe, I don't know if the stats back this up, but it's just felt like in every big start, in every big moment, whenever they need like a big out or a big pitch, it seems like Aaron Nola like doesn't doesn't answer the call that they need. And the two strike and the two out stuff um, is a is a big part of that. I don't know like what makes him struggle to put away hitters so much, but like they're just gonna need him to be way better than last year, both overall and situationally. Um, there are some spots last year that maybe Girardi didn't set him up to be in the best position. You could think back to that Padres game that he left Noel in too long, probably. Wow. Um, One of my all-time Girardi moments, by the way. But, but like at the same time, like he's the guy who's been your opening day starter for the last few years. Like he's supposed to be one of your two aces now. Like 
you just you need more out of him. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head with like they could really use a career year out of him. I don't know if it's coming though. Yeah, and I think back on that point too, like not only do I think that he's the right answer to that question, I think he's like the only answer. Because if you were to get a career year from say Bryce Harper, right, it's probably one of the best seasons of all time. Like it's certainly up there. Um, but if you don't, like what is he gonna do? Maybe like 900 OPS ish around that, that range. Like he's still a very productive player, but with like, you can get a two, what was he in 2018? Like two thirty seven earn run average or something, something like that. Like that yeah. yeah. If so, if you can get better than that, like that helps you in so many ways. And if you don't get that, there's it's like, it's possible that he puts up a four five. So you're talking about a great season versus like one that, not only doesn't help your team very much, like it actively hurts them. So yeah, if, if they were to get that version of him, like that's it, that, as you guys said, they're a, probably a playoff team unless everything else around them goes wrong. By, by the way, the answer to that hypothetical for three seasons and years past for the Phillies um, from 2018 to 2020, the right answer was always Jake Arrieta. Oh. No, Jake Arrieta was always Jake Arrieta in 2015. Like had what most insane second young. halves anyone. Yeah. So he was always the answer because he was just bad for the Phillies. And if, oh yeah, if like your fifth starter or whatever could could be the Cy Young again, you're probably a playoff team. I think I think Kutch could maybe maybe like a word there. You almost if you get careers from Kutch the last few years. You almost need to reword it to a place. Sometimes you need to reword it to a place of like if someone could have their like Phillies career best year. Yeah. Cause it's almost like not fair when you get a washed guy, like not a wash, but like, you know, a guy who's on the decline at the end of the Arietta was washed. Arietta was washed, but like, look, you he know, was I, good at the beginning of 2018. I'll I, I infamously called Andrew McCutcheon washed last April. Uh, he proved and then he went on a Homer streak, right? Right after that. And then he turned out to be washed anyway, but the, like, it's almost not fair if you sign an MVP or a Cy Young guy late in his career to be like, all right, yeah, if we can just get him to go back to being that, like we'd be set because you didn't necessarily sign him with a realistic expectation of that actually happening. If you said a Phillies career best year, like Bryce Harper's now won the MVP with the Phillies, probably still not even his career best year because his other MVP year with the Nationals uh, was even better than that. But Phillies, like Aaron Nola has been with the Phillies this entire time. So if you get his Phillies career best year, like you're still hanging on to him. You want it to work out. You want him to, you know, prove Pete McCannon wrong again and not be a number three starter and maybe actually like go back into a one or two role. This team's a playoff team, especially in a 12 team playoff system. If Aaron Nola can pitch like that. Yeah. It's like, you think back to the 2009 Phillies and it's like somebody raises that hypothetical. It's like, Oh yeah, we'll just take like prime Pedro. <laughs> Why yeah, does exactly, he give us yeah, a career? Exactly right. Yeah. We, we didn't say that. Yeah, exactly. Right. We couldn't say that in 2009. So it's almost a little like it's almost a little ridiculous to say that kind of stuff. You know, what if the Sixers could just get the best year of DeAndre Jordan's career here down the stretch? Like it'd be a little different. Yeah. He no. comes as a guest on the Phillies Nation pod and then roasts Johnny Heller for asking the wrong question. Yeah. It's, no, it's not it, it's actually not a Johnny, but and believe me, I'm not shying away from roasting Johnny, but it's something <laughs> like we do a lot. And I think it just needs to be sometimes tweaked a little. In general, it's a question that Johnny was not the first to ask. He certainly won't be the last. But to Ty's point, it's just so easy to be like, oh, Jake Arrieta. Or like any guy who, anytime you sign a player whose prime was somewhere else, to be like, well, that guy can be our best. It's, it's just like a cop-out to the actual intention of the question. 
Yeah. All right. Anything else? I feel like we touched on some of the most notable performers or guys who aren't performing so much. Anything else we want to want to touch on baseball wise? Let's see. Let's see. Uh, are we buying? I'm trying to think, you know, I'm just throwing out topics here. Look, so last year the Phillies had Bryce and who was the MVP, Zach Wheeler, who was an M- a Cy Young finalist, and they didn't make the playoffs. I guess I'll just point blank ask, given that, and they still couldn't get it a year ago, and you look what the team is now, are you buying right now on March 31st, 2022, are you guys buying or selling the Phillies as a playoff team? I'll go first. I'm going to I'm gonna buy it. I think they're going to make a big acquisition at the trade deadline. I think it's going to get them in with the expanded playoff system. I'm going to buy it too, just because I think that, that lineup is so good. Um, and I think that when you get – some of the pitching back healthy uh it's it isn't going to be like a top you know three or four staff but it's it should be the defense especially when you have that one through nine that you're going to have what about you i'm going to sell it as a bit of an emotional hedge granted totally fair uh, criticism here uh they you know if they if they did miss the playoffs and expand the playoff system, certainly would not be the first time they missed an expanded playoffs as we know it happened in 2020. This a little different. That was a historically bad bullpen. I get it. I guess I'm just looking at like you can't expect Bryce to just be the MVP again. You can't expect Zach Wheeler to just like be a Cy Young candidate again. Other guys are going to have to step up. You're going to need something weird like a career year out of Aaron Nola. You're going to need Ranger Suarez to just continue to blow our minds with like how much he, you know, exceeds our expectations. They're going to probably need a big time trade deadline acquisition in addition to all of that. And they're going to need the defense to not bite them in the ass as much as I'm, you know, fearing that it's going to Um, look, this is a team that I don't think has a ton of rotational depth in general. They're going to have to stay healthy. I think if someone goes down, that could really derail the season a little bit. I'm looking at, you know, with teams like, you know, the Braves are the defending champions. I know they don't have Freddie Freeman, but Matt Olson's pretty darn good. And, you know, you look at what the Mets adding Scherzer, like, I just don't see a clear-cut path for it to happen. I think they're going to be in it for the entirety of the season. Uh, but I'm not I'm not as bullish as some as, like, all right, they added two playoff teams, really just one in the National League, and saying, like, okay, this is going to get them in here. I, I still need to see more. I still have a number of concerns, a number of questions. I'm obviously excited for baseball to be back. I could, would not be, I would be so unbelievably happy to be wrong on this one because they need to end the, you know, second longest playoff drought in baseball, longest in the National League in the worst way. Uh, And this is as good of an opportunity to do it as ever, but uh, I'm not buying it as of yet. Well, but I mean, the, the, the thing last year about them missing the playoffs, despite Harper winning MVP is that he was fence for, two to three months stretches at a time, basically the entire season, especially when Hoskins was, was hurt. So, but it, I mean, it, it isn't like you're counting on that same group now to, to bounce back. You're adding a lot of new guys who are like way you more are. proven so than the guys that they had last year. Yeah. Yeah. Castellanos and Schwarber, obviously huge uh, in that lineup. And by the way, you know, just a huge you know fan of both of those guys. And I think the top of the lineup is really, really good. You're not, not Harper. Definitely Wheeler. It's really just like the pitching and defense that concerns me. Like I, they're gonna they're gonna score runs. I, there's not a doubt. I don't think in anyone's mind that this team is gonna score runs. But it, I guess it's just will the pros outweigh 
the cons, I think there's, it's easy to, it's, it's like a glamorous, you know, kind of sexy looking team, I guess you could say right now, because people like offense, people love going to the ballpark to see offense and see home runs, and you're going to get a lot of that, but like, I, I really just fear that we're in for like a long summer of like, there's this really bad error in this spot, or like the, the bullpen just can't find, get their act together per usual, or starting rotation like i said suffers an injury and we're relying on and the phillies are relying on minor league guys to like get them through it and like i don't know i guess i mean you guys maybe have more faith in it than i do that they're just gonna like pick their way out of all of that like i just think it's too long of a season to fully you know jump all the way in the floor all right last thing i wanted to touch on before we get out of here you've been catching some heat on the air recently at wip um, over over an activity that you engage in, I want to know when you go to your first baseball game of the season, will you be keeping a scorebook at the stadium? I will be keeping a scorebook. Yes, uh, it's an activity that I you know I've been doing. I don't want to say for years, but I really picked up on a more of a like full time basis last season. I've always enjoyed it. Uh, I actually went out and got myself a scorebook. Like a lot of people, just try and find like a program where you get to the ballpark. You don't always necessarily have a ton of time like before the game starts and they can be expensive if you're doing that every time. So, you know, like I actually have a scorebook with me. You can get it at a sporting goods store for literally like five bucks and it's perfect and you can score 25 games in it. We're not uh, on video. Uh, Dan is showing. No, I understand, but I'm showing YouTube. I, I, I understand, but like YouTube can see that I have my scorebook always handy. Uh, it's so easy to bring to the ballpark. I think it, you know, it allows you to just like, it's just like a fun thing to like track what's going on during the game. I think it's a fun thing that kind of just helps you keep in, you in the game. You start to see little patterns and situations that, you know, it, obviously people could notice and I've noticed before. It's not like they're new. I've been going to baseball games since I went to a Phillies game when I was six months old and I've been to games every year since. So it, it's not, and I played baseball my entire life. So it's, not, it's not really an issue of that. I really, picked up a liking for doing it my senior year of high school uh, when I was riding the bench on the varsity team. Uh, I was a career JV player and it's just like, you just feel like you're managing the game. You feel like, you know, everyone loves to rip on the guy who keeps the book. That's fine. I understand. Like I said, it's a polarizing activity. Um, by the way, everyone loves to rip on it. And then with a guy like last year, I was at Aaron Nola's uh, game where he struck out what was a 10 in a row in New York uh, in that uh, the first game of a doubleheader, And so, you know, people I'm with are like, oh, it's actually really cool. You're scoring this or, you know, someone down the row is like, oh, how many strikeouts is he at? Like, I'm like, oh, seven. I can quickly tally it up. So everyone loves to rip on it until it's like convenient to just like have the guy with this with the scorebook with you. So I think people need to let go of the, the scorebook beef. Uh, Mike Angelina, who is a overnight producer, also at 94 WIP, also fan of keeping a scorebook. We're both going to be at that game, a game that I know you guys are going to be at. Uh, Sunday of opening weekend against the A's. We both plan. We're not going to be sitting together, but we both plan to keep a book and take a photo of our completed books afterwards. It's a nerdy activity, sure, but you know, folks such as you know, you know, some of my own friends or Tim Kelly, who also work with you, who think the point of it is that like I'm actually keeping the stats for my own benefit and that the internet does it for you. Like they're missing the entire point. The point is not so that I can go back and look at the stat. It's the journey of doing it throughout the game. Yeah. So, so like any game I cover, as you guys know, I cover minor league baseball Yeah. and like any game I'm covering, I'm going to keep the book. If I'm going just to watch like in the stands, probably not, but it keeps you in the game. If you're, if you're doing it. I like, I've actually gained a newfound respect. Whenever I see other people keeping the book at the game, you're like, all right, that like, 
that guy or girl, whoever it is, is into it. Do you give like, them a nod? Is it like like what? Jeep like Jeep owners? Like I got a scorebook, you got a scorebook. It's yeah, it's like a Jeep community. It's like, ah, the scorebook community. Uh, you know, it's typically, I would guess, just from my own experience and what I would hypothesize that it's mostly uh, older people who are doing it as opposed to, you know, younger people. And it's fine, but I just I guess I'm an old man when it comes to uh, scoring baseball games, doing it by hand. I, I oddly find it like really, really fun. Just like writing, like, all right, here's an at bat, like an end, like writing down what happened. I call me weird. Uh, my actual, my new thing that I, that I recently got on. So I was a freshman basketball manager and I'm not going to say I'm going to like do this as a habit, but just one time it's now on my bucket list that I have to go out and buy a basketball scorebook. And I want to show up to a Sixers game and score it. Cause I've never seen anyone do that. And I think that would, I think it's just giving everyone around you a, it's the story for me, but everyone around me is going to have a story to tell for the rest of their lives. Like I saw a guy score an NBA game. That would, you're so weird for that. That would be strange. <laughs> I've seen it. I mean, covering basketball, I've seen people keep a book, but keep you ever, a random never, person keeping a book at a basketball game. You've never seen game. a random person in an NBA game keep a book. You've never seen it. No, you haven't. Do you want to really quickly before we, we wrap up, weren't you on your way to that NOLA game? Didn't you guys get pulled over on your way and you're writing in the lineups? I did. Uh, so I was not driving. Uh, friend of the, <laughs> uh, our good friend, Ty, you and I, our good friend, Jason Canner, uh, was we decided to go up to New York for the day uh, because they were playing a doubleheader at City Field and we both had off work and, you know, just kind of worked out schedule wise. Uh, and apparently they're not a big fan of, you know, the exit for LaGuardia is like just before the city field exit, like they're right next to each other. And they're apparently not huge fans of when you cross that like dividing line that like everybody crosses trying to merge last second in New York, especially. And they probably saw an out of state driver and that, you know, labeled us too. So uh, yeah, we got pulled over. We're both wearing Phillies gear and the cop, I guess being very unassuming goes, Oh, you guys uh, headed to the game today, which I thought was kind of funny because you know, he, we're, we were, this was going to, we didn't end up being late. This was going to make us later than expected. Uh, we're both wearing Phillies gear and the cop could literally see me writing in the lineups uh, for that game. Uh, it's a really convenient thing. I kind of combine the new age and old age thing of like, you used to have to go to a game and write in the lineups as they announce it on the scoreboard. But now in the day of days of the internet and Twitter, especially when you can go to daily MLB lineups, the lineups were ready to go. So I had the lineups already written in. Uh, I actually got a little bit of a head nod from one of the uh, very friendly security guards up there at City Field. And he's like, oh, you're keeping a book. It's like cool to see. Uh, but yeah, I, I was literally uh, writing in the lineups for game one of that doubleheader while a New York City police officer uh, was talking to uh, Jason Kenner uh, in the driver's seat. So that that was a uh, that was a, an overall fun day, a funny day. It turned out to be the lineups for Aaron Nola's 10 strikeout day. Um, and it's always difficult also for the second day of a doubleheader, trying to cram those lineups in, in between games, uh, because you only have like 20, 30 minutes. How long is it taking you to write in the lineup? 30 minutes. Well, because they don't release the lineups right away. You know, sometimes it'll be like 10 minutes before they kind of just throw it out there last second. You're like quickly trying to jot it down. All right. All right. You, you, you do it, but it's, it's a bit of, it's, it's a bit more of a crunch. That, all right. I got you. Nathan, I, I think like that's a good. Down, go ahead. I like to write on the benches and the bullpens too. Like I go all out. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, Nathan, I think that's a good spot to, to wrap it up here. Yeah, it is a good spot to wrap it up. Let's, let's wrap this thing up. Ty. All right. Awesome. All right, Dan, thank you for joining us on this episode. Everybody go follow him on Twitter. You want to plug yourself real 
real quick. They can get yeah, that at, riveting tweet Twitter content. Exactly right. At Dan underscore Wilson four. Uh, you're probably going to see every one of my tweets uh, have a ratio reply. That's okay. We just, you know, you let the haters hate and you take it and you run with it. Uh, I, I want to get, I want to get one thing off here. People, people like to roast your Twitter. Yeah. I think it's good. I think it's a, thank it's you. A very, thank yeah. you. Look at that. You're time. Welcome. All right. All right. That's what we said. Someone, someone had to say. I'm sure if Nathan got to know me better, he, you know, he'd start feeling less. I don't know if that was. He would would start ratioing you. He would start ratioing me too, but I appreciate that. You know, Nathan coming in with like, with a compliment on the Twitter and, you know, it's not everyone understands me. And so those who do, it's nice to see it. Yeah. All right, Dan, thanks again, everyone. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. 